my name is Josh. Uh, my wife and I are the team leaders here at JMU Chi Alpha, and we are thrilled. <laughs> See, nobody claps for me. <laughs> like, I feel like I feel like every week I do this, and I beg you all to clap for me, and <laughs> every week you don't. And that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. It's okay. Hey. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. So a uh, little bit of updates, a uh, little Moran family updates. Just want to give you some updates on how virtual school is going. Um, today we got the uh, next packets. We went to the school and handed them a piece of paper. That's what it was. And they uh, gave me the worksheets and uh, glue sticks and cubes for three of our kids. Um, and so we have a fifth grader, a second grader, and a kindergartner at Spotswood Elementary School. And all three of our kids so far have gotten night badges of honor, uh, right, for hard work and for dedication and for who could say what. Um, and so super uh, proud of them. And then Emma, our fifth grader, yes, uh, tomorrow they start Camp Wonder. Some of you are wondering, what is Camp Wonder? Well, Camp Wonder is like, it used to be the after school activities that they would do, different clubs and organizations. Now they're doing them on Wednesdays, um, and so that's nice. Uh, Emma got asked to be a part of writing the Spotswood Elementary School song. So the school's been around along for who have been around for who knows how long, and they have no song, and so they're like, "Well, we got to have a song." And so Emma got picked as uh, one of the team members to write the new song, and so we're super excited for her and proud of her and. She has more musical ability at this point than I will ever have, and so that's, you know. Also, uh, a win in the Moran family is our three-year-old, Esther, put herself down for her own nap today. Oh, wow. Um, uh, so, yeah, some of you do that every day, okay? That's, <laughs> that's facts. However, it's a little diff different for a three-year-old. So today I was downstairs with the boys and... Uh, Levi and Judah today brought, bought Mario Party for the Switch, and so that was a really exciting day as we were playing the mini games. Um, I lost and rip. Um, and so anyways, I was like, well, you know, I have another kid somewhere. Actually, I have two other kids somewhere, and so I should go find them. And I went upstairs to find Esther, and there she was in her bed, tucked in. So it was great, and I'm in for it. So I was like, let's go. So we're hoping to go for two days in a row tomorrow, but we'll see. Um, and so I know some of you are worried that I lost her. Don't worry. All the doors were shut, mostly. Uh, and we have a dog that could have found her, and she probably just would have been up the street getting her makeup done by Taryn. So anyways, all that to say, we're in 1 Corinthians, right? We're in the middle of a reframe series. We've been walking through 1 Corinthians this semester. Uh, last week, we were in chapter 8. This week, we're going to be in chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have your Bible, or you would like a Bible, Adam has some that we would love to give away right now. So if you just throw your hand up in the air, wave it around like you just don't care, and we'll give you a Bible that you can have if you just... Anybody? Okay, Adam, you can keep them both. So go feast on the Word of God, Adam. So... Uh, so, 1 Corinthians, what we know, what we've learned throughout the semester is that this is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul, Paul writing to the church at Corinth and writing to the church that he started in Corinth. And he's been helping them out as, as the Corinthians have been trying to figure out how to live in the culture that they're in. 
Okay, and, and Paul is trying to help them to reframe the problems that have arisen around them, the problems that they see uh, that are pressing in as culture presses in, and, and, and Paul is encouraging them to reframe, to get a new lens, and to see things through the light of the gospel. And, and, the, and really the question that Paul doesn't ask specifically, but that Paul is asking the church at Corinth is, what difference does the gospel make here? What difference does the gospel make in our friendships? What difference does the gospel make in concerns uh, with our sexuality? What difference does the gospel make as we think about alcohol? What, what difference does the gospel make when it comes to forgiveness? And Paul is having them to reframe all these questions, all these things in their lives through the lens of the gospel. And tonight, we're going to take a look. As you can see, some of you have uh, communion elements. Uh, I call these Lunchables. Communion Lunchables. Um, Sitting underneath your chair tonight, we're going to be taking communion because Paul is going to help the Corinthian church to reframe communion. Now, some of you, you're in the room tonight and you are beginning the journey with Jesus. You're, this is, you know, maybe your first Tuesday Night Live or maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you've always wondered what communion was. Well, tonight's passage, hey, there you go, that's a picture from last week, just brought it back, um, and so, like, tonight's passage is, is one in which Paul is going to explain communion to the church at Corinth. And again, Paul is going to explain it to them because they are doing it very wrong. Uh, the Corinthians are messing up. The Corinthians are doing things that are just not quite right. Word has gotten back to Paul, and he is now going to correct uh, their theology. And he's not just going to correct their, their theology, but he's going to take that theology and drive it into something practical. And this is how it plays out. This is how the rubber meets the road. This is how it matters on Tuesday. This is how it matters as you go throughout your week. And, but, but it is like you have to take a step back and understand the theology of this is why we do this. Have you ever found yourself maybe in a situation where there were uh, symbols or rules behind things and you were lost because you didn't understand what they were? I remember this probably the first time that I went to spend the night at a friend's house, okay? I was the oldest of three brothers, and so I was the first one to ever get to do this spend the night at a friend's house thing. Um, and I'm from, like I told you guys last week, like I'm, I'm from like out there, do you know what I mean? And so like our nearest neighbor you couldn't see. Like our house was a one Forest View Drive, Forest View Drive, right? The next house was 53 Forest View Drive, right? right? Like you couldn't see neighbors, like it was like... And so, like, to be able to go spend the night at a friend's house, like, this was a big deal. Like, we had to go to town to do this. Like, hey, we're going to town. Um, and I realize people don't say that. Like, normal people, you're like, you know, we just live in town. Like, what, what do you mean, town? And I'm like, no, man, like, town was a thing. Um, so, anyways, I spend the night at a friend's house, and I get there, and I'm excited. And then, all of a sudden, their bedtime routine is very different than my bedtime routine that I've had. And I'm like, well, I can't do this. And I called my mom and had her pick me up. Um, I was like... <laughs> nerd yes okay i was terrified because uh, things were unfamiliar to me right because these these things had been happening and like i was so used to a certain way and i thought this was the way that it was going to be and like the the symbol or the meaning or the way the way that that i had always done it was not the way that they were doing it so maybe some of you have been in a religious ceremony maybe you've been to communion maybe you've uh, been to a wedding and you've been like i don't understand why they are doing what they're doing or what all this means and so tonight the hope is, as we reframe communion, as Paul reframes communion for the church at Corinth, that it will help us as we can see what communion means and how it can play out in our lives practically. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll be starting reading in verse 17. It's going to get really good really quick. 
Okay, maybe if you read ahead, you're just going to, here we go. So, uh, here we go. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. <laughs> okay, it's, it's been 10 chapters, right? Okay, Paul, <laughs> it, it, feels like, it feels like this is like the, you know, this is the middle of the compliment sandwich. Do you know what I mean? Like, like when you're trying to offer correction to someone, uh, those of you that are in a relationship with someone, this is a good way to bring up feedback with them. Uh, those of you that will eventually have children, this is also a good way to bring up feed, feedback with them, is you uh, give them something positive and then something negative, and then something positive, okay? We call it a compliment sandwich, okay? So that way it's not like we're not just only focused on the bad things, like we're also gonna be focused on the good things. Uh, but we are, we are in the, the, we're in the middle part here. This is the Oreo, which is the, the middle, like that's the worst part of the Oreo. Yeah, I said it, and I meant it, right? Like if we can get the real thin ones right, that would be way better. Um, and so, also my favorite Halloween candy is lemon heads. The small ones. Because you can't find those things anywhere. Like, yeah, like those are absolutely the best. And I have the microphone and none of you can stop me. So, anyways, more harm than good is what that joke just did. Uh, but also, also, it is what the Corinthians are doing. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings are doing more harm than good. Basically, Paul is saying, just don't go to church. Just don't meet together. What you're doing is so bad. This, this is not good. So, like, here we go. Put your seatbelts on. You should always wear your seatbelts. Faith does, because she's a rule follower. Good. So, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Tough, right? Okay, so... so I have no praise for you. Like your your meetings do more harm than good. There are divisions among you. Now, you maybe you would you would remember back to the beginning of First Corinthians, and please don't please don't shake your head and know that you don't remember. Okay, tough. Okay, because I think I preached this message. Okay, but we talked about division earlier in the church, right? We talked about the divisions that had come in the church at Corinth, and the divisions that Paul was talking about earlier, I believe, in chapter three, were divisions that were around certain people, right? I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Paul. And then Paul tells us who he's baptized, right? And that, those are, that, that's great. But this, in this instance, when Paul is talking here, it doesn't seem to be about people. It's not about who they're following. It's not about what knowledge that they have. But instead, it's about something else. And so let's take a little look deeper, a little further in our passage, and see what, uh, what has caused this division. And he says, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter." Woo! Hashtag tough right there, right? You know what I mean? Like this is a paragraph where Paul is coming at the church at Corinth. He's telling them that this is not good. I cannot praise you because of the divisions that you all have put up in front of each other so that some of you can feel like you are more important than you are. What, we, what we'll find out, what we know now, is that what was happening at the church in Corinth is that as they gathered for the Lord's Supper, as they came together in their small groups, in their homes, as the, the church at this point in the first century... Uh, meeting in someone's living room. Uh, they would have had someone who was there who would have 
been reading from Paul's letters. They would have been sharing from the Old Testament. They would have been telling Jesus stories to one another. Uh, 1 Corinthians, we believe, is probably written somewhere around uh, 55, right about 25 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and so Paul is like, as you come to, what, what's, and then when they would come together, they would eat the communal meal together. It would be a potluck, right? Okay, some of you have grown up in churches where this is what you did every Sunday after church, right? It was like, we, at my church growing up, we would go across the street to the old church, you know what I mean? Like the church we first started in, to so the old church building, that's where the youth were allowed to meet in, but it's also where the potlucks happen, okay? And I know right now, in the season that we're in, right, potlucks are not a thing, and I don't know if they'll ever be a thing again, okay? But they used to be really big, okay? And so what was happening in the church in Corinth is that people would come to the potluck, and the people that had more means, people that had more money, would go ahead and eat what they brought. And they wouldn't share with other people. They would save the best for themselves. They would, they would go first through the line. They would be the ones that would sit off to the side and not let other people sit with them. And then those that didn't have anything wouldn't get anything to eat. And you can see the... the uh, the juxtaposition that Paul makes in this passage is that some of you are getting drunk while others remain hungry. And Paul is overemphasizing the point that they, these are polar opposites. That you guys are so far apart from each other that what was meant to be a communal meal, what was meant to be like a fellowship, what was meant to be a time where you would get together and you would have fun and joyous fellowship, instead as being something that has driven such a wedge between you because you think because you have money, because you have status, because you have the ability to provide these things, that you should be the ones that should get the best of all things. And Paul is saying that is so far from the gospel. That is so far from what we would hope for the church. That is so far from what the church should be and can be. And so as you gather, you are actually doing more harm than good. And you have to imagine that as the church was gathered, that as, as she came together and as these, this meal was eaten and as like the haves on one side and the have-nots on the other, that, that, that had to bleed over into the rest of the meeting, right? Like the frustration, the tension was probably felt every single week in and out. It, and as, the, as someone shared it, you can undoubtedly, the person that is hungry is only thinking about the fact that they're hungry. And the person that, that brought the things and, and thought that they deserved the things that they brought but other people didn't deserve it is still wondering, why didn't they bring anything? Why didn't they, why, why, I can't believe they didn't do this. Like, I brought all this food and they didn't bring anything. And there's such divisions that have been driven in the church. And Paul's saying, this is so, so bad. I will not praise you for this. You are humiliating one another and you despise the church of God. And so what Paul is really trying to do here, what the NIV subheading says, is to correct an abuse of the Lord's Supper, Right? But Paul knows that he can't just correct the abuse. He can't just tell them the way forward. He needs to take a step back and explain to them the gospel, explain to them how this plays out, and explain to them why this is such a big deal and how this can play out in their lives. And so that's where we turn. In the very next part of our passage, if any of you have, uh, if you have been around church and you have been to a service that has served communion, um, you have probably heard this passage read aloud. Uh, which, again, is just an absolutely beautiful picture of 1 Corinthians. Because the church does it so wrong. Like, Paul is so frustrated in the first part of this chapter, right? But that this is where we get the instructions for communion. This is like the largest portion in the New Testament where 
communion is explained and how it plays out in the church. Without these verses, without this church doing it so poorly, we would not have the words of institution. We, we would not have the way that we take communion now. And so I think that some of you, you sit in this room and we've heard the words that have been shared in the poem, like as you think about your past, as you, th- and you think like I'm too far gone, like, this is too far away. Like let 1 Corinthians be a book of hope to you. Let 1 Corinthians like let you see the bigger picture that, that this, like, this is not the end, this is but the beginning, this is a trajectory setting moment and that as the kingdom advances in your life, as the kingdom advances here at JMU, that there is still work to be done. And like the Lord would have this for you. So let's read what Paul says. Paul says here in verse 23, For I received for the Lord what I also passed on to you. Now Paul here probably not saying that this is what Jesus told him to do. Okay, We do know that Paul did meet Jesus on the Damascus Road. Jesus comes in the bright light, knocks... Paul to the ground, and for some reason, all of my life, I pictured Paul like falling off a camel, uh, but I think he was just walking, okay? So he gets knocked over, uh, Jesus speaks to him, you know, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so Paul does have an interaction with Jesus, uh, but probably not about communion, and so Paul here is probably referencing the gospel stories, the gospel narratives that are floating around the communities as, as they're telling Jesus stories. As the Bible is, is being prepared to be um, compiled and gathered together, Paul is sharing from this narrative. And so Paul here is going to be, it's going to be very similar to the book of Mark, if you want to turn and read that some other time. And so, anyways, it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here, Paul is saying that the reason that we take communion, the reason that we gather together for the supper is to remember the Last Supper. And so I have a picture of the Last Supper here. So here is the Last Supper. Um... So I also have, like, you can go ahead and hit the next picture. I got the picture of what happened the last supper was today um, as they meet on Zoom. <laughs> Good. Great, thank you. So go back to the other one. So uh, this is a Da Vinci, I believe, uh, picture of the last supper. And I just got, a, I just have to wonder, okay? So like, okay, it's the 12 disciples and Jesus, okay? Like when they go up into the upper room, like do you think the ones that went ahead and were like, hey, can we get a... Yeah, we need a table for 25. Uh, there's only 13 of us because we're all going to sit on the one side. Um, but, uh, like, <laughs> I just said, like, that's just, like, a, it's just fascinating to me. So, but here they are gathered at the Last Supper where Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed. Jesus, Judas is going to betray him that night. Um, and Jesus himself knows that he is headed to the cross. It is the Passover meal uh, where he will uh, be crucified. Uh, he will be buried and he will raise again on Sunday morning. Um, and so, like, it is, like, Paul is bringing the Corinthian church back to this moment. Like, let's remember who Jesus is. Let's remember what Jesus has done for us. Let's remember what this community can be and what these disciples were like and what that, what that meal signified to them and what it should signify to us. 
And he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus came back that Sunday, right? He, he speaks to the church. He, he empowers the disciples. He tells them there is much work for them to be done. And he says, I am coming back. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he is coming back. And as we gather together, as we take communion, that we are proclaiming who Jesus is. We are proclaiming the Gospels to ourselves. We are proclaiming the Gospels to our community. We are proclaiming the Gospel and that Jesus is coming back in power. That this is another thing that will happen. That this is a historic fact. Everybody agrees that Jesus was a historic figure, right? Everybody believes the dude lived and everybody agrees that the dude died. But Paul is saying when we gather together, when we come together as the community of God, when we come together, when we take this meal together, we are saying that he is coming back. That death didn't have the final word for him and death doesn't have the final word for us as we are gathered as the people of God. And this is what it means to live in community. The cross is no respecter of persons. The cross doesn't show favorites. The cross doesn't, there is no haves or have-nots. That everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. So act like it. Understand it. Live with this reality. And as you eat this bread, as you drink this cup, this has meaning. This has significance. Last week we talked a lot about the symbol of things in our lives. And as we look at what the symbol can mean, and Paul is saying here that the symbol of communion is so big. The symbol of the Lord's Supper is so big. And understand the grandness of this gospel message. So, then Paul says, he continues, So, then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep, like what does that mean? That's a euphemism for died. Um, so Paul's like, some of you have died because you took communion incorrectly. Okay, let's just stop right there just for a moment. Like this is, because uh, y'all like, why are you touching that cup now? <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, the, Paul, again, is using like, as he's used the juxtaposition between being drunk and going hungry, as he's like, as he's trying to like set up these like broad things in order to correct the church at Corinth. He doesn't mean this happens exactly. Some people in the church have died. Some people in the church have gotten sick. But what Paul is saying is like, the grace of God is still very real in Paul's life. Paul, a great example of someone who lives under the grace of God, like who has, he says, uh, I think it's in 1 Timothy, like, I, I am the worst of all sinners. Uh, and he, he, he's close, you know what I mean? Like, I might give him a run for his money, but like, he's close. Um, and so like, and it's like, what, what Paul's saying is like, the, like, this stuff does matter. We must discern the body. And it's going to be interesting in 1 Corinthians, it's going to continue. And Paul's going to start talking about the body of Christ and how we are members of the body and that the hand can't say to the ear, I don't need you, like that, that we all need each other. And like he's, he's using this language throughout 1 Corinthians to, to exemplify unity within the body, to exemplify unity with your brothers and sisters and to love one another well and that this really does matter. And so he continues, but if we... We're more discerning with regard to ourselves. We would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, we are judged in this way by the Lord. 
We are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Amen. I am very happy to not have that happen. Um, and so then Paul will then close. He says, so then, my brothers and sisters, Paul has now gotten to the point where he's going to give them the answer to the question they've been seeking. Like, how do we take communion then, Paul? How do we take this meal together? What does this look like? And Paul's like, here's the answer. When you gather together, eat. You should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry, eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. How many of you know that that, that last little line that Paul left right there, that's like when your mom says she's going to come check to see if you cleaned your room. Okay, do you know what I mean? Like, that's like when uh, my mom would be like, hey, uh, can you set some chicken out for tonight for supper, right? And then, like, then she texts you to say she's on the way home, and you're like, I need to get to the microwave right now and make sure that chicken gets thawed, right? Like, she's telling me she's on the way. Paul is telling the church of Corinth, I am on the way. I will be there. I'm going to give you further directions, but I think Paul's telling them, hey, I'm going to be checking up on this. This is really important. And it is as simple as eat together. If you're hungry, eat at home. Don't bring that into church. Don't bring that stuff where you think that you're more important than other people. Don't bring that stuff where you think that you have more money than other people. Like, this is stupid. Check it at the door. As you come to Chi Alpha, as you come to small group, as you come to your house, as you live in community, check that stuff at the door. Eat together. Be together. I love the, like, the dynamic simplicity to this gospel message. Eat together. Live life together. This is a hot take, but I, like, in college, like, we had a, a communal fridge, right? Like, some of you have communal fridges right now. And, like, I know it's all the rage to, like, label stuff in your communal fridge, but, like, just in my mind, that just, that just led to frustration, right? Because I'd be mad, like, who ate my shrimp? Wait, first of all, why you got shrimp in college? You should not. Mm, that's probably bad shrimp. You know what I mean? Um, like, who ate my ramen? Like, so what? You're out six cents. You know what I mean? Like, you'll be fine. And so, like, we just had a sense where it was like, okay, we're just going to take the L if somebody eats our stuff. And we would take turns uh, buying Gatorades and take turns buying milk for people that like milk. No, hey, <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to step up in your, in your business right there. Uh, but I think, like, in the sense, like, just eat together. Just be together. Don't keep, don't keep score, is what Paul's saying. Don't keep score of what you brought. You guys, some of you have been to potlucks. You've been to, like, family gatherings. And you can tell people are keeping score. Like, oh, that's what you brought? There, aren't there six of y'all? Yes, there's six of us. That's why I don't have any money, okay? That's why I don't have any time. That's why I brought, I picked up chips on the way, okay? I forgot we were bringing food. <laughs> like, chill out. That was, that, was, that was too real. I'm sorry. <laughs> that felt a little personal. I'm sorry. I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back. Like, it's like this sense of, like, like, and that's just no fun. That's not gospel. That's not kingdom. Keeping score is not of the kingdom of God. Like, eat together. Share with one another. Be in community. Radical community together. And live that way. So, 
what we're going to do now is we're headed towards a time where we're going to take communion together as Chi Alpha. But first, I want to take I want to take a step back and just do a little teaching here on communion. Some of you, you've heard it called the Eucharist. You've heard it called the Lord's Supper. You've heard it called communion. Maybe you grew up in a church. Maybe you didn't grow up in a church, but you're just curious. Like, like, like Josh, you spent a lot of time talking about a meal, and you got a Lunchable underneath my seat. Like, you got to explain how that happened. I, I would actually love to explain to you how that happened. So the church... In the first century, uh, you know, Paul writing this letter around 55, she's gathered together, and they would get together every Sunday for a meal on Sunday night. Okay, they would, they would gather together, they would share, they would pray, they would sing, they would give testimony about what the Lord has been doing in their life, and they would have this meal together, the Lord's Supper. Okay, and then as that kind of continues, the church begins to grow. It's like, okay, now it's getting a little bit harder to do things on Sunday night. And the church decides to move the main meeting from Sunday night to Sunday morning. Why Sunday morning? Because Sunday morning is when we, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, This is the victory over death that happens on Sunday morning. And so as we gather to celebrate the resurrection, as we gather to celebrate victory, they begin to meet Sunday mornings. And how many of you guys know, Paul's going to disagree, but potluck breakfasts are not the same as potluck dinners. I know Paul's really into breakfast casserole, okay? And so, like, that is a real thing, okay? And I also like breakfast casserole, but it's just not the same, okay? So the church is like, okay, now it's like, now they're, like, setting some fruit out, right? And it's like, it's becoming less and less of a meal, and it's getting a little bit smaller, okay? And then they're like, well, I mean, it does say the cup and the, and the bread, and so then they begin... As the church kind of continues to grow, uh, and, and it's like, okay, this is, this is a big deal. How can we make it a big deal? And so they begin to take communion with the bread and the wine a couple times a week as they would gather in the mornings. Okay, and this is great. Uh, like, it's fascinating. Like, the early church took communion very, very seriously. Okay, like, as they understood the sacrifices, they understood the gospel message that's being proclaimed. And if you were a shut-in or if you didn't come to church, like somebody would take communion to you at your house so that you could partake in the Lord's Supper as part of the community. And I actually have a picture of, um, his name is, uh, I'm going to check the notes here, St. Tarsisus. Yes, there he is. He, <laughs> y'all have no choice but believe me because there's no way you could Google it after I said it like that. You're like, mm, I got nothing. Um, and he is the, the saint of the Eucharist, because uh, he, it's a late third century, I believe. He is taking communion. He has the elements with him. He is taking them to the shut-ins, and it's in uh, like a, a difficult part of the city where the church is under great persecution, and they attack him and ask him to give the elements over to this mob that has appeared. And he refuses to give them the elements. He says, no, I will take them to their destination, and they kill him. Um, and so he's a martyr. Uh, but, but like, and I tell you that story to say, how, like, how serious communion was. Like, how much of a big deal this was in the church as, as, she would, as she would gather so that she would proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Like, this is a big deal, and this is the communion. This is the community meal. This is what defines us. This is how we... This is how we tell the gospel to ourselves as we take communion. And so, but then the church kind of progresses, and then churches start to get larger and larger, and then, like, now, like, church is about efficiency, right? Like, to, to then set up a meal on Sunday morning is going to be tremendously difficult. It's very hard to get people to come back to church on Sunday night. Even still, most of the churches in 
the city don't meet on Sunday night. Uh, most of the churches from back home where I'm from don't meet on Sunday night anymore. They say people voted with their feet. They just don't come back, okay? And then it's like, okay, well, now it's like we've got four or 500 people in the auditorium that we call it now. And it's like, so how, how can we be efficient with our time? Like, how can we get them through this? And so now they come out with communion lunchables. That's what these are. And so we're, everybody can grab the bread and the juice on the way in. And it's like, and I, I understand it, right? I understand that we don't want to take an hour to serve communion. But... I think if we don't explain what communion is, like this can be real confusing to new people, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like this ain't even a snack. Like, why, why did you? And then it's like, man, now I got Jesus in my teeth because the like the styrofoam stuff at the top is super weird, right? Like, y'all ever left church? You like, you still got Jesus in your teeth, and like, then you feel weird picking Jesus out with your like fingernail. You're like, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, what, what is this? Okay. And, and I, so I'm not, I'm not mad at church, right? Like, you guys have been coming to Kyle for this whole semester, and this is the first time we'll be taking communion. So it's not like, not like we're doing any better, right? But it is like, I just want us to take a step back and define it just for a moment so we can get the symbol, so we can understand the meaning, so that we can see uh, how we can preach the gospel to ourselves as we take um, communion. So... I have two points that I want to make here uh, about communion. First of all, uh, the communion meal is about community. Um, and so I think that, as we saw in our passage tonight, that there are no more haves or haves-nots when it comes to the gospel, that when we come together to take communi- communion, we need to have an understanding of the community that we live in. We need to have an understanding of the community that we love, the community that serves us, that we serve, and that this is a communal, communal meal. Yes, Paul does tell us to discern the body and to, to consider ourselves before the Lord as we come together for communion, but the communion is not just about us. Communion is not just about us before the Lord, but communion is about the community as she is gathered together. And this is saying that I am with you, and that you are with me, and that as we gather together, we do this together. And so I love being in churches when as we take communion, where we all hold the bread up together. So as we take it tonight, that's what we'll do. We'll all hold the bread up together. We'll all take the bread together. Then we'll all hold the juice together. And we will take the juice together because that's the symbol that we are in this together. That the community is so important. That the community is how we will survive in a world that will continue to press in on us. The community is what will reframe our thought process. The community is what will sharpen us. The community is what will lift us up. The community is what will encourage us. The community will be there when we have a bad day. When we've gotten back a test and we got an 11 on it. Like, what? (laughs) My first test in college, I got a 33 on out of 100. Okay, and I was like, well, okay, so nobody in my family had ever gone to college. And most people in my high school had never gone to college, okay? So, like, when you went to college, you, like, got your name on the front page of the school newspaper. I still have the newspaper saved from when I, like, was in high school. I was like, oh, look at this. I made it. Look, Ma. Um, so I get to college. It's Econ uh, 201, microeconomics. Who could say what microeconomics is about? Because I got a 33 on the first test. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's tough. But I had seen TV shows about college, right? And how many of you know that in college there's a curve? And it's like, oh, well, everybody probably got a 33 then. So I looked at the guy next to me. We'll call him Chris because that's his name. Hey, Chris, how'd you do? He's like 97. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> I called my mom. But anyways, I got a C plus in that class and many other classes because C's <laughs> get degrees, baby. You can write that down, take it to the bank. They don't put GPA on your diploma. And so, anyways, what does that have to do with community? Now we're all in this together, right? We're all in this GPA race together, okay? And so, like, as we come together, as we discern the body, I would encourage you, as you're in a church that takes communion, maybe, maybe weekly, maybe every first and third Sunday, maybe every other week, whatever it would be, that you would discern the body, that you would discern those people around you. If there are any offenses that you need to go make right to do that before you take communion. If you're like, I need to forgive someone in the room. I need to confess something to someone in this room, in this community. I'm going to go ahead and do that because I'm going to check that stuff at the door. I'm not going to let that frustrate me. I'm not going to be looking around as we take communion and be like, well, why are they taking it? How dare they? This is frustrating. Like, do they know what they did to me? Just talk to them and discern the community. Live in radical community with one another as we take communion because this is the community meal. This is the life of the gospel that we would live this out with one another radically in the best sense of the word. Sometimes radical could be a tough word, but radical is like one of my favorite words when it comes to like who we are as Chi Alpha. Like we are just radical, like, but rule followers sometimes. I'm a rule breaker of faith, so maybe you've noticed it about me, but who could say? Sometimes I don't put my seatbelt on until I'm driving forwards. I don't believe in wearing your seatbelt driving backwards. Like, how are you supposed to lean over? Do you know what I mean? Like, how are you supposed to see? Like, so. Anyways, what a loser. Make this guy stop. What's the second point? Gospel remembrance. That's good. So what is it? So the first point about communion, as we take communion, is to understand the community that we live in, to discern the body, to ask for forgiveness, to repent before our brothers and sisters. And the second part is to proclaim the gospel to ourselves. That when we hold this bread, when we take this cup, that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And the Lord's death is so much bigger than just that phrase. That the Lord's death, like his crucifixion on the cross for us, as, as he who had no sin became sin for us, as he who, who did no wrong took on the punishment for all of us who have done so wrong. And not only did he go to the cross, but he, he was... He was crucified, he was dead, he was buried, but then he was resurrected into new life. He won the victory over death, and that now we can live lives of victory. That we can live lives of proclamation. That we can live lives of radical forgiveness. That we can live lives whole because of what he has done and what he is doing for us. And so as we hold these elements, we proclaim the gospel to ourselves. We tell ourselves that this is who he is and this is what he's meant to me and this is what he's going to continue to do. And we remember those things in our past where the Lord came and met us. We hold tight to the truth to which he has proclaimed to us in the secret place. We hold tight to the truth to which he has proclaimed to us as we've been in services where people have spoken things over us, where we have prayed things, where we have believed things, where the Lord has appeared to us. This church knew Jesus, right? Jesus is alive just 20 years before them. Undoubtedly, some of them had known him or they knew someone who had spoken to him. They, they, they could have pictured him. 
And you in this room, maybe you don't have one of those moments because Jesus was alive a long time ago, but you have a moment where the Lord did something in or around you. Or something much more than just coincidence, right? Like as, as you saw all these different coincidences line up, and maybe that's how you even got here tonight. Like all these different coincidences have lined up to get you in the small group that you're in, to have you sitting in the seat that you're in. And I would tell you to remember that as you come together in community. That the Lord is so active in our lives. The Lord is so active in your life and that you can remember these things. But you can think back on your past week and in a moment where the Lord has lifted your head, or you, you think back in your past week where your brother or sister from, from core group has, has, has texted you out of the blue and has said something that was encouraging to you, and that this was the Lord's grace in your life in that moment. So as we proclaim the gospel to ourselves, we remember what the Lord has done. And as we remember, what does remembering do? Remembering doesn't change the past, right? Remembering only changes the future. That as we remember these things, as, as we think on these things that the Lord has done, as we proclaim them to ourselves over and over and over again, we change our futures. We look forward to what is ahead instead of thinking about all the things that have gone wrong. Instead, we think about the ways that the Lord is good. We think about His righteousness. We think about the ways that He has been faithful to us, and we proclaim that gospel message to ourselves because we desperately need to be reminded of it often. That vision leaks, right? That we find ourselves like so excited when we come out of small group, and then all of a sudden it's like, yo, that test was real hard. Or man, my friend backed into my car, or like the, the battery didn't start, or whatever it was. Like there's these moments where it's like, and it's like, man, but then we remember. We take hold of those things in which the Lord has taught us, and we proclaim them to ourselves, prepared for our future together. So whenever we find ourselves in a bad moment or find ourselves in a moment where it's frustration, we just feel like we're going to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. 